And so this morning, we want to continue our series on parenting. And so we're in the third week of this series. And those that were here last week, you know that we basically covered the verse of all verses, right? Proverbs 22, 6, where it talked about training up uh, your child, but it was to do it in such a way that you, you and I as parents recognize the uniqueness, the, the special quality, the set-apart way that God has designed each one of your children, and the fact that he's got a plan for them, that he's got wishes for each one of us on how we're to raise them. And so we are to view our children simply as stewardships, right? Arrows that we are shooting out. Not trying to do what, accomplish what we want for them, but accomplishing what God wants for them. It's a different perspective. And then doing it according to their natural bent, the way God has designed them, the purposes that he wants for them. And so this morning, we want to kind of expand on that a little bit. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, train up your children, but then the intuitive mind says, okay, how? Tell me how. Give me, give me some steps. Give me some information on how I do that. And we're going to look this morning because I think there's really, the scriptures provide two specific components of training. One of those is teaching. The other one is discipline. And we want to look at just the teaching aspect of training this morning, and the next time we'll look at the discipline aspect. But before we get there, I want to provide some opening thoughts as it relates to teaching, because some of us um, would be concerned with that. But let me encourage you with a couple of thoughts before we get started looking at the verses. Do you know that when it comes to teaching your child, that you do not have to have the spiritual gift of teaching to be qualified? That's awesome. You don't, you don't have to have the spiritual gift of teaching to be able to teach your child. If you contribute in an X chromosome or a Y chromosome, or you have adopted your child, you're the official guardian, you're qualified. God wants you to be involved directly in the teaching, this training aspect of your children. So be encouraged. Now, if that's overwhelming to some, well, point number two, when it comes to teaching your child, you are qualified whether you realize it or not. Again, you are that child's parent, and God wants to further equip you for the task at hand. That's the good news, that God has got some equipping mechanisms in place to prepare you to be able to teach your child. In fact, we looked at one in the first um, message. I mean, this is a very popular verse, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. We all know 16, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But then verse 17 starts with the word that. It's a purpose clause. It tells why the word of God is valuable in this way. There's a direct purpose. Here it is, that the man of God, you might say the woman of God, it's mankind, anthropos used there. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And one of the good works that God wants to equip parents with is raising their children, teaching their children training their children. And so the word of God is there to equip us. And so is the local church. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Teaching your child, uh, again, just an opening comment. It's part of your God-given stewardship. It's part of your God-given stewardship responsibility as a Christian parent. Remember, stewardship, again, all I'm trying to do is accomplish what the owner wants done. I don't take ownership in it. I don't, I don't think of my own way to do it. You know, we often do that as employees, right? We go into, I was just talking to John. You, you said, I'm going to use this in a sermon. I didn't know it was going to be this morning. All right. So I was just talking to John this morning about an employment situation where, um, you know, as, as a manager, he had an employee step into his office on day one and say, this is what I am going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. You're never going to make me do this. You're never going to make me do this. That is not the mindset of an employee, that's not the mindset of a steward. You don't roll up in the boss's office and say, now let me tell you how this is going to roll. No, the boss tells you how it's going to roll. The boss tells you how it's going to go. And in this case, God is the owner of our ch children. He's got a method and means. He's got a desire and a purpose for each one of your children. Our goal is to fall in line with his plans and just be a steward. Steward, carry out that stewardship of what he wants to do. And by the way, it's not something, this teaching aspect of training is not something designed to be optional. It's not something designed for you to get to when you have time. This is actually part of our responsibility as parents. And you know what? Here's the good news. If you need encouragement, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got all the resources you need in Christ to accomplish God's task for you in this teaching ministry. That's really 
good news. Because at times, these kind of things can feel overwhelming to some of us. We don't know where to start. We don't know what to do. We don't, we don't even know how to get this going. And yet, you can be equipped. And so let's consider the teaching aspect now of the training of our children. We'll turn to um, Ephesians 6, 4. Let's, let's start there, and then we're going to come back to Deuteronomy 6 here in a little bit. Ephesians 6, 4. I feel like I haven't been there in a couple months. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so, uh, again, those who are here through the study of Ephesians, you know, this, this verse obviously has a context. And the context takes us all the way back up at 518. Remember, 518 is that central verse. You've got to be filled by the Spirit in order to execute all these interpersonal relationships, husband, wives, uh, you know, parent, child, employer, employee. That's the key. The key is, are you filled by the Spirit? If you want to be a better father or parent, you've got to be filled by the Spirit. That's kind of the, the hinge verse. Everything flows out of there. And so when we look at Ephesians 4, the, or 6, 4, the first thing it tells us is, and I like this, right? Because we want to know what training is. Sometimes it's helpful to know what it's not right? It, it, it kind of provides clarity, like, okay, definitely don't do this, but do this. And so we're going to see that in Ephesians 6, 4. And what does he tell us not to do? Well, he says, don't provoke, right? And this word provoke means to provoke movement toward irritation or resentment. It means that you cause somebody to be provoked or you cause somebody to be angry, now, you'll notice that the word fathers is used here, and I believe that Paul is addressing the, the head of the home. But, and so I think for our sake this morning, this isn't just that fathers have to do this. This really applies to parenting. He's just addressing the head of the home. So I think we can supp- substitute here the word parents. In fact, there are some, not to get into the Greek, but there are some, I, I believe, some textual variants here that actually contain the word parents, where you can make an argument for that. But we're going to take parents here. Uh, as it's not just fathers. It's not just specifically for dads. It's for parents in general. And he says this, that do not provoke your children to wrath. And one of the things we learned about this when we study, we'll learn uh, again this morning, it's a present tense command. The idea of present tense is it's urgent. It, it's, he desires an immediate response. The fact that it's negated, I mean, and like don't do this, could indicate that they need to stop an action that's already in progress. In other words, they were provoking their children. And we're going to see from the culture that that was a very real possibility because children did not carry the same level of worth or value in the eyes of the Greco-Roman society as the dad. In fact, the dad had, uh, the father of a family had absolute authority. You know, in the Greco-Roman society that when a woman gave birth to a child, she would bring the child to the father and he could determine right then if he would accept or reject that child. And if he rejected it, they would just put it some would, I mean, not, I'm sure the mother saved a bunch, but some would, they just put them out in the woods and let them die. And fathers had that right. They had that overarching authority. We know that they could also um, imprison an older child if they didn't like what that child was doing. You know, you what? You stole money out of my wallet? You're going to jail. You know, what? You stole the car? You're going to jail. What? You lied to me? Okay, you're going to jail. They also could sell them into slavery if they wanted to up to three times in their lifetime. They got, they got three strikes, so to speak. And they could do that even when they were grown out of the house. They had that much authority over their children over the course of life. They could even have their child executed. Okay, so this, is, this command that Paul's giving, although it still applies today, we see parents still provoking their children to anger today. This would have been revolutionary to the church at Ephesus. This would have been revolutionary to think that they actually needed to consider children and, and actually treat them with honor and respect in some ways. And so the concept communicated by provoking is this. The father is, is coming alongside of the child with a desire to make them angry or to tempt them to anger. And because it's an active voice, they're choosing to willingly do this. Now, it kind of begs the question, why would parents do this? Why, why does this even need to be said? Because if you love your child, right, you would never provoke them to anger, right? And all the parents in the room, our, our wheels are turning here. Wait a minute. 
Yeah, why, why do we do that sometimes? Why does that happen? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why, and there's lots of ways in how we do this. So let me just kind of run through these. I don't want to uh, really get too much into this, but I just want to point this out. Do you know that some parents are bullies by heart? They're just bullies. I, I don't know why. They, they just are. They, and it might go with number two here. They, there's some kind of power trip. There's some kind of authority dynamic that puffs them up. Maybe they've never been that person growing up. And now for the first time, they've got this authority in this scenario in the home and they're going to use it, buddy. And you've seen people like that in the workplace, right? They get promoted to a place of authority. They become a different person. It's like they were nice and, and easy to get along with and very reasonable, and you give them a title, you put a plaque on their table, put a plaque on their wall, and it's like, oh my goodness, this guy's crazy. This girl is nuts, right? Because that authority dynamic really ruins some people, and it happens the same way uh, with parents. Do you know that some parents are inconsistent in their discipline, and this has a way of provoking their children to wrath? You know, we, we as parents can overreact on something small, and then like a basketball referee, we we make it up on the next call, right? They, they do something really big and then we underreact. And the parents don't know, where, uh, the kids don't know where the line is. They, they're frustrated. They're angry. I mean, um, you know, it's like, it, uh, well, it, it's, it, it's like this story I heard where there was a, a little girl and, and she loved her mom. And she, she went outside and she saw these flowers. You know how anybody, any mom's ever gotten flowers picked for them and brought into the house? That's, it's kind of a sweet uh, gesture from our kids. Well, this little girl did that, but along the way, because of her age, she, she walked into the garden. She picked the flowers. The garden was a little bit muddy. She stepped in a puddle on her way back. And so the, the dirt, the extra dirt, the mud, it turned into all mud. And not only did she not come in the back door where she could have just gotten a little dirt in, she came through the front door and walked it all the way through the house. And you know, her mom, instead of seeing the flowers, what did she see? She saw the muddy footprints. And she absolutely blew her wad. She blew it all in anger on this little girl for making a mess in her house, totally missed the flowers, totally lacked the the wisdom to distinguish between childishness and rebellion. That was not rebellion. That was just foolishness bound in the child. She didn't know. She's trying to love you, mom. And we blow up. We overreact. Well, what's that girl think? I'm never giving mom flowers again. That's what she takes from that. And so we've got this way of provoking our children to wrath, being inconsistent. Some parents are unreasonable with their rules. You know, some parents have so many rules that if you ask them to write them down, they wouldn't even remember them. And, and they expect their kids to. And this is what we're talking about in terms of provoking. Some parents, they show favoritism with another child. Why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like Susie down the street? Why can't you be like Jimmy down the street? And that creates and provokes them to anger. Some parents unrealistically push for achievement. You know, if we are all about God's plan for our children, we're not going to be about our plan. Trust me, your kids will be okay if they don't make straight A's. They actually make a B once in a while or a C. I mean, God, I mean, if they make a D's now, I don't, I don't want to guarantee anything. No, I'm just kidding. But it's like, we, we push for this unrealistic achievement sometimes and we're driving this through our kids and it provokes them, has a way to provoke them to anger. Again, I mentioned this earlier. Some parents fail to distinguish childishness from rebellion. Some parents have anger problems themselves, right? They got things cooking in their own life and, and the child just becomes the, the outlet of that anger in that moment. Some parents' teaching doesn't match their lifestyle. They say one thing, they do another. That provokes kids to anger. Hypocrisy. Do you like hypocrisy? Do you like when someone says something and then does the opposite? We don't like it either. Kids don't like that. They don't like seeing that in their parents. You know what's interesting? Uh, some parents provide inadequate direction in general. You know what's interesting? There's a study that came out. The number one factor that causes rage in teenagers is lack of engagement by their parents, a lack of interest. And you know, it's so funny because what do teenagers typically do? And I'm, and I'm overgeneralizing here, but teenagers generally, when they get to their teenage years, they don't want mom and dad all in their mess. They don't want them all in their stuff. They don't want them asking them lots of questions. But you know what? Deep down, they do. Deep down, they do. They may push you away. They may say, ah, you're, you're on top of me. But you know what? Just remind them, it's because I love you. 
It's because I care. It's because I've got something invested in your life. It's because I want God's best for you. So I'm interested in you. I always, we always tell kids, I'm interested in you. You can do nothing to stop us from being interested in you. Sorry, cheerleader for life. I'm sorry. That's who we are. That's what we're about. Now, if we need to back off a little bit and give you space, we'll do that. But it's not because we've stopped being interested in you. We care about you. We want God's best for you. We want God's purposes filled, fulfilled in your life. And so some parents just back off and don't do anything and just assume, well, I'm dropping them at church three times a week. They'll probably be okay. And it's this lack of engagement or interest. Ultimately, why do parents provoke their children to wrath? They're not filled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God does not want to provoke your children to wrath. The Spirit of God wants to draw the hearts of your children to the one who died for them and rose again. And as you are occupied with him, there's this tendency to now bring your kids into that occupation with you. And that's what we're looking to do as parents. You know, the main point of this is that this, this uh, type of communication, this provoking the wrath, it's just sinful, it's, it's unhealthy. It, it doesn't help to train your child. It has the exact opposite effect. And it doesn't reflect a parent who's under control of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a, a, a sister passage. And since we're close, let's flip over there. Colossians 3.21. And even though Paul wrote these letters about the same time, it's like he puts in little subtle nuances in each letter. So it kind of gives you some extra picture of what he's talking about here. But in Colossians 3.21, when he's teaching fathers, do not provoke your children. Notice what he says. Same, same concept, don't provoke your children to wrath. Why though? What's the reason he gives here? Lest they become discouraged. Interesting. That word discouraged simply means they lose heart. They become despondent. You, you crush their spirit. You actually crush their desire to respond to you. And the second you and I as parents crush that desire of our kids to respond to us, you know what we're training them to do? To learn how to not respond to the Lord when they get older. See, that's why we don't want to do this stuff. It's got damage there. And so what he's going to say is don't do this, right? Go back with me now to Ephesians 6, 4. Don't provoke them, but do something else. And what we're going to see here is he's going to tell them to bring them up. Okay, in the training and admonition of the Lord. Obviously, this but provides this contrast. Don't do this, but definitely do this. And that word, bring them up, it's the idea of training. It's, it's Proverbs 22, 6, all over again in Ephesians 6, 4. It's this idea that we are going to train them, educate them. We're going to train them up in a certain way. And he's going to give us two qualifications. But before we go there, this too, this, this phrase, okay, don't provoke present active imperative. Same here, present active imperative. Okay. Don't provoke right now, immediately stop doing that and immediately start doing this. Start doing what? Training them up. And also it shows there's a proactiveness. Now he's gonna mention two things in 6.4. Let's look at those. We're gonna handle them actually out of order because of what the words mean. But he says, bring them up two ways, in the training and admonition of the Lord. We're gonna consider admonition this morning because that actually goes better with the word teaching. Training, believe it or not, goes better with the word discipline. So we're going to cover that next time. And so the one we're going to look at this morning is intentional instruction. And so let's consider what this verse is saying here. We are to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. And I like this word admonition because it means to warn or to exhort, okay? And, and even if you can kind of see the distinction between those two words, this is very helpful because one of the things that we're going to see is that this word is not only the counsel to avoid bad behavior, but it's also correction for the cessation of bad behavior. You see, it's preventative and it's responsive. That's what this word kind of entails. And so it, it involves this idea, and this is what I love about this word. It involves the idea of reasoning, when you, when you think of, uh, let me just think of the contrast. What is, when you yell at somebody or you reason with them, you, don't you get a different picture in your mind? It's, it's not me as the big authority screaming instruction at my kids, at my kids. Notice that phrase as well. It's reasoning what? With your kids. It's reasoning 
through the scriptures. It's counsel. What does counsel look like? Does that look like slapping them in the back of the head and saying, what the heck are you doing? Or does it look like putting your arm around them, coming alongside of them, sitting next to them, sitting them on your lap if they're young enough? That's the image that you get here. And it talks about careful or friendly reproof. Why do you correct your kids? Have you ever thought about that? I'll be honest. There are times as a parent in my parenting where I've corrected my kids to make my life easier. Just being honest. What is the reason we should be correcting our kids? Because we want them to walk with the Lord. Ultimately, that's what we want. We want them to learn how to walk with the Lord. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my convenience. It's about God's ultimate plan for each one of these kids. And so we see that this teaching has this component of not only teaching, but also this correcting in a very intentional and proactive verbal way. It's great. We're going to talk about example a ton today, but we're talking about verbally expressing the truths of God's word. That's what we're talking about when we look at this word. Again, it's designed to prevent or correct potential evil, potential harm, uh, or potential negative behavior. But notice again, it's not according to (laughs) internet research, TV, radio, secular books, parenting magazines. This is to be Bible-centered, God-focused training. It's literally of the Lord. This is admonition that comes from God. To simplify it, we want our kids to know what God has to say to them. That's what we're trying to communicate here. You know, we're going to talk about this next week, but I just, it's kind of on my mind. You know, there was a very popular author that came out, I can't even remember if it was in the 50s, 60s, that basically said, you know what, it's wrong to spank your kids. Dr. Spock, remember that? Not, Not the guy from Star Trek, the other guy, Dr. Spock. You know, he, he wrote a book. It was a best-selling book. And you had a whole generation or two that bought into his teaching. And then as data research came out, taking his idea for a test drive, Dr. Spock came out years later and said, oops. Now, how would you like that to happen with your children? You bought into the, 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 the rage of the day. Wow, this is research. This guy's a doctor. He's got four PhD or whatever he's got. I'm going to try that. And you basically, as a believer, you took the word of God and you set it on a shelf. And you said, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to do the Dr. Spock way. And then Dr. Spock got in. You've seen the results with your kids. And Dr. Spock said, oops. The good news about the word of God is there's no oops involved. There may be oops in how we apply it, for sure. I mean, we're not perfect. But there's no oops with the instruction that's found here. And this is what we want to drive our, our thinking back to. And so, Obviously, we want to teach our kids, instruct them uh, from the Lord. But what does this look like and how do we do this? That's, a, that's, again, as we keep moving from million-dollar question to million-dollar question, what does this look like? Well, there's a very informative passage in the Old Testament. Let's spend the rest of our time there this morning. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And leading in there, uh, Mark, thank you for reading that whole passage this morning too. I want to look at the first five verses, but as I do, I want to I put some thoughts in your mind before we read it. And here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 5, this, it, there's a very balanced emphasis here. And I say that because we have a tendency uh, to, to pendulum swing. We, we just do, as human beings, we pendulum swing all the time, one extreme to the other to the other. But I want you to notice the balance here, because he's going to say there is value in doctrine, there's value in teaching the word of God, and then the balance is, and there needs to be relational intimacy. Notice how he does this in the first five verses, verse, verses one through three. This is the commandment. These are the statutes and judgments what the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. Notice that you may observe them. There's an interaction with his teaching in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God. That's a relational aspect, that you're occupied with the Lord, that you don't ever take a step without taking the Lord into consideration with what you're doing, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, 
You and your son and your grandson. By the way, that word keep, it probably better translated guard. You would keep your eye on it, that you would value it highly. Okay, so you can see this, this it's back and forth. It's relational intimacy. It's sound doctrine. It's, it's back and forth here. Um, verse three, therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. And there's that word observe it again, interacting with it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one doctrine. That's, tr- that's who he is. Verse five, relational intimacy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And now I want to move into verses six through nine. I want to spend our time here. Let's just read them all together, or uh, let's read them in, uh, together here. Verse six, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what we're gonna see here within teaching in terms of how to do it, how to execute it, there's two prongs here. You're gonna see them both in verse seven. You shall teach them diligently, number one, and you shall talk of them when all these scenarios. And so you're gonna see a direct component of teaching and you're gonna see an indirect component of teaching. These are tools in our bag to to teach and train our children. And so let's look at the first approach here, this direct teaching component. Verse seven, teach diligently. That that word right there means to, and this is a big word, it means to inculcate. It means to teach by rote. It means to impress. It means to repeat. It means to say things over and over and over again. Why do we do that? Because we want to penetrate their mind. We want to penetrate their heart. And contrary to popular belief, I am interested in influencing my children. Contrary to what the culture says, oh, don't influence your children. Let them get to their own place. Why? Everyone else wants to influence them. Why can't I? I actually think I've got better things to say to them than the garbage stuff we see all throughout the world. I actually want to influence them. This is my responsibility. In fact, we're going to go through, what is the them there? What are, what are we teach? We're teaching what? Well, the them is the commandments and statutes of the Lord, the word of God. We're teaching them the word of God. That's the them here. And you can trace that pronoun up through the passage and see that that's the case. And then who's the you referred to here? Really interesting. It's not your pastor. It's not your kid's Sunday school teacher. It's not their Awana teacher. It's not their private Christian school Bible teacher. The you here is second person singular. This is the parents. This is each and every parent. This is part of our stewardship. You have a responsibility of stewardship to teach diligently to inculcate, to repeat, to impress upon them the word of God. That is part of our responsibility as parents. That's a direct responsibility. And by the way, why parents? You know, I, I think about that often like, why would, why would God give me the responsibility to train my teacher? Shouldn't I find like the best, most gifted spiritual teacher on the planet and just play videos for them? Let me just get the best teacher on the planet and then they can teach my kids. You know what? The best teacher on the planet don't know my kids. I know my kids. I know their strengths. I know their weaknesses. I know the subtle nuances of their personalities. I understand what experiences they've had. I know how to take truth that we're learning and tie it into their life because I'm living life with them. They're living life with me. There's lots of connections that can be made. And you know what? No one loves them more than Carrie and I do. Nobody is committed to their good more than Carrie and I. There is not a bigger cheerleader. I'm sorry, the president of their fan club, that spot is already taken, never to be given up. Their pictures will always be on my refrigerator. That's that's the point. And I've only got five of them. And guess what? They're beloved. All five of them are beloved to us. And you know what? Your children are the same way to you. And so this is why this responsibility is ours. You got it. You got all the tools. You know it. 
Now, you may not feel equipped, but that's okay. That's what the local church is for. That's what the word of God is for. You can be equipped. That's the easy part of the equation. My, my question is, are you convinced? Are you persuaded that this is your responsibility? Because you can be equipped. That's not an issue at all. In fact, it indicates this verse that the primary responsibility for teaching our children the word of God falls on the shoulders of the parents. That's what this you does. And again, where does the church fit in? I've said this a couple of times in a couple of different ways. It's like a zipper, right? Except the home is the primary part. It's got the, I should have learned what that was from last week. It's the little dangly thing. That's the home part. And the other side is the church part, right? And, 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 and we're designed to work in conjunction, but the church is never to supplant or to take the place of the parent in the home. The church is to support the church is to buttress, you know, to use an old word, the, the efforts in the home. That's what the church is designed to do, not take over, but support, facilitate, help undergird what you're doing at the home. Additionally, the way it's described indicates, obviously, intentionality and lots of repetition. Here's the thing, parents, we've got to realize we cannot assume that your kids, I get it. Your kids are the most amazing people on earth. I believe that about my kids too. But you know what? They're not different than everybody else. They need to hear things more than once. Don't just assume because they heard it once, they got it. Don't just assume that you can drop them off at Sunday school and drop them off at youth group and drop them off at Awana and they'll get it. And I've just kind of given my responsibility to someone else and they'll get it. They're not gonna get it that way. There's something built in to this divine institution known as the family that God wants to use you as a tool in the lives of your kids to fulfill and be convinced of their purposes in their life. He wants to use you. Man, what a privilege. What an honor. You're, You're part of that process as a parent. And one of the most effective environments for teaching the word of God, I believe, to your children is at the kitchen table. It's in the living room. It's sitting on their bed, sitting on the floor with them in the living room. Wherever you're at, that's the most effective time. You have things to say to them that nobody else can say to them. Take advantage of that opportunity. You've got a lot of influence for good here. Now, one of the things that we're going to see in this passage, and I love, I love when the Word of God does this. You know, um, you all know the story of Moses holding up the serpent in the wilderness and, and, and the Israelites were, were poisoned and they looked at the serpent and they lived. You know that story. Well, do you know years later they had to destroy the bronze serpent because what happened? You guys remember that story? The Israelites wanted, were worshiping the bronze serpent as an idol. They just had to destroy it. And so sometimes I think the word of God is, is very, uh, I mean, God knows what he's doing, right? So if he would have put a method in here, we would have been all about the method. We're like, oh, this is, this is the method. This is the procedure. This is, what, this is how we do it. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't prescribe a method here. He basically emphasizes, teach them this content diligently. Repeat it. Be proactive with it. Be intentional by teaching them this content. But in terms of the method by which you do it, lots of different methods, lots of different ways, lots of, there are, there are families that are super creative, right? And they, they got all these creative ways to teach truth. I knew of a guy that he would make a whole uh, pan of jello and he would cut out the middle. And then he would say that that's like God split in the Red Sea. And he would show his kids, I mean, he had all these creative ways. I mean, I'm sure find a friend on Pinterest, you know, that's cre- more creative than you. If you like those kind of things, right? Lots of creative ways to teach the word of God. But the point is we want to teach it. We want to be proactive in our teaching of it. By the way, let me just mention this too. When we think of direct teaching, we often think of family devotions. And, and, and this is the point where half the, the heads in the audience go down because they're like, man, we stink at family devotions. Like we cannot keep a consistent schedule. We try, we, we, we just, uh, we just don't, never figure this out. And then you got some families. Uh, I know of one family in particular, they, they, they have family devotions every night. And they've done that for years. And they've got it. They got a system. They got it figured out. Great. Here's the point. Don't beat yourself up if you're one of the families that can't get that figured out. Family devotions are good. There needs to be time of intentional instruction, whether you call that a family devotion or not, whatever. 
But as we're going to see from this passage, family devotions are not enough. That's the other thing. If you go to, that's why I said earlier in the study a couple weeks ago, that if you just go to Christian parenting books, largely the methodology that's going to come back that you're going to take away is start having family devotions. That's going to be the method. Nothing wrong with family devotions. Have them. There's got to be some intentional aspect of direct teaching. But what this passage is going to teach us is that direct teaching should not be the only tool in your tool belt. That's the great thing. You know, those of you that have ever done any kind of work on a house, you know that if you just have a tool belt with a hammer, not every problem needs a hammer. Not every situation needs to be hit harder. You know, I know that's the first thing we try when a refrigerator goes out and the laundry machine, we kick it, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's our tool. But again, at some point you need other tools. And see, God has provided that through this teaching. And so we're not gonna just engage in direct teaching, although that needs to be a part of the tool. The second part of the tool needs to be what I would call indirect teaching. We're gonna see that here also in verse seven. He says, and you shall talk of them when you, and then he gives all these (laughs) scenarios when you should talk about them. This word talk means to speak or to talk. Figuratively, it means to lead or to guide. It was used to lead flocks. It was used to lead herds to pasture. Just keep that picture in mind. This is, when we talk to our kids, we're trying to shepherd them and lead them in a certain direction. And we'll talk more about what that is. Again, what are we talking about? It's the them, it's the word of God in this case. The you, again, is each and every parent, second person, singular. And because of the indirect manner mentioned here, talking about, it specifically speaks of communicating the word of God, the person of Jesus Christ, as it relates to daily life. That's the deal. This type of teaching is not set apart on Tuesday night at 6 p.m. This type of teaching is done as life comes at you. And does life come at you some weeks? Boom, boom, boom. I mean, it feels like waves sometimes, crushing on the shore. This is when this teaching kicks in. This isn't gonna fit into your schedule a lot of times. Be ready for that. Be okay with that. You know, I, I kind of, I have a schedule. I have a, you know, I used to, when I used to write it before my phone, I'd write in a daily planner. I mean, I was that kind of guy. I, I was a list guy. I felt really, you know, I liked getting my list done. And you know what I didn't like? When someone interrupted me and I still had things on my list at the end of the day, I'd get really frustrated. But you know what? Kids, child raising, that should never be one of those things that you get frustrated with that that intersected with your list or slowed down the fulfillment of your list. This is an opportunity to emphasize the word of God and the character of God as situations, trials, circumstances come up, not only in your life, but in your kid's life. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. It's just amazing. Again, one of the things we need to understand, don't assume that your kids know how to connect the dots. That's what we do a lot. We, it's like, well, they got the word of God. They've been taught the word of God. They've been to church for 18 years. They know. Don't assume that your kids know how to connect the word of God with their life. Don't assume they know how to connect the word of God with their trial. Don't assume that. Work through it with them. These are the opportunities that we have as parents. We've got to make these connections. This is why this aspect of teaching, by the way, is so helpful. You're actually bringing practicality from a message that was recorded thousands of years ago that inevitably they're, they're distanced by culture after culture and time over time. And yet as they begin to see the value of the word of God in their daily life, at their school, in their sports program, with their friends, they're gonna be like, this thing is legit. Jesus Christ is legit. This means something. Versus what most kids do, they say statistically when they go off to college. We all know that stat, right? What happens to the kids? They quit going to church. They quit. They're interest, not interested in spiritual things. They fall away from the faith. Why is that? Well, I'm not going to blame the parents necessarily because we're going to talk about the kids' responsibility in a couple weeks. But it's possible, it's possible there was a breakdown in this aspect of teaching. They just didn't see the connection. They got all the truth. Boom, boom, boom. They got all the family devotions. They sat in church. They can recite doctrine 
we just weren't effective in helping them connect the dots as to where doctrine fits in their life, as where the person of Jesus Christ is not some distant guy with long hair that you know, walked in Jerusalem. He, he's a real person. He's got value to what they are doing right now. He can be that friend that sticks closer than a brother to them. I mean, this is the opportunity that we have to communicate these things to our kids. And there we see what part of the day is not covered here. When do we shut this faucet off? And the answer is, is we don't. This is an opportunity to talk about the, the Lord's truth and the Lord's character over and over and over again as we navigate life. Now, life's gonna give opportunities to you. You're gonna have opportunities in your own life. I mentioned that earlier. You can share those with your kids as you navigate them. There's gonna be opportunities in their lives. And as this happens, you can encourage the kids to trust the Lord in his character. And, and then I would, I would say this. This is, this is just an encouragement to the parents. Point your kids to Jesus Christ and then pray that the Lord will show up and show out for them. Pray, pray that they will actually experience his faithfulness and goodness in this area. Pray that he is gonna do what he wants to do anyway, and that's to make himself real to your children. And you know what? He can do that for them when they're four years old. He can do that for them when they're 40 years old. Don't stop as a parent. Keep pointing them to Jesus Christ and then pray that God shows up and shows out for them in a very practical, a very personal, very real way. He desires to do that. He wants to be their hero too. He wants to be the one they're occupied with too. And so pray according to God's will. That's what he wants to do. So let's ask him to do that. Now, it's important that this aspect of teaching uh, is genuine and not contrived. And that kind of brings us to our last point. You know, have you ever noticed that our kids are just born with a good phoniness detector? They can, they can kind of sniff out when you're not being very sincere. I remember even my oldest daughter, I would uh, oftentimes drive her to school. I can't remember if it was kindergarten or first grade. And I would drive her to school, drop her off, and then I would go to work. Um, at the time I was in real estate. And so I would drive her to school and, and she would be just chatterboxing away like little kids do. And I would, and I would be like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And, um, and I, I thought I was getting away with it until one day she said, she told me, she said, dad, quit talking boring to me. That was the exact <laughs> phrase. Quit talking boring to me. And you know, I didn't know I was talking boring to her. I thought I was I was actually thinking about my work day, right? I was thinking about the conversation I'm gonna have with work. I wasn't even paying attention to my daughter. And so they, they know how to sniff you out when you're a fake. And praise God for a while, they, they don't have any filters, so they'll tell you to. And they get a little bit older, they get a little bit more of a filter and they just go somewhere else. That's tragic. It's kind of nice when they're kids, they'll kind of let you have it a little bit. And, and if you take it, it's good. So they're born with this, so how do, we, how do we ensure that this is done effectively? Well, those of you that probably noticed, you noticed that I skipped verse six. So let's go back to Deuteronomy six. I skipped verse six for a reason because the central issue here and the thing that must undergird all of our teaching as parents is the reality of the parents' relational intimacy with Jesus Christ himself. You want a tool for child training? Walk with the Lord. You want a, the best tool for child training? Grow spiritually. Fall in love more with Jesus Christ today than you were yesterday. That's the best tool you can use in your parenting. And that's what we're gonna see here in verse six. By the way, this isn't perfection, by the way. Please don't put this insurmountable pressure on yourself, parents. This is, do you have a heart to walk with the Lord? Are you willing to admit when you make mistakes? Because you will. Are you willing to be humble and admit that you don't know everything that you need to know because you won't? The point is this, not perfection. Where's your heart? Where are you occupied with? Look at verse six. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to the parents. I, I know lots of parents that want to just jam truth down their kid's throat. Boom, boom, boom. Let me get truth jammed in their throat. But they never once think about me taking it in personally. There's a value in me walking with the Lord, not just jamming truth down my kid's throat, but actually me walking with the Lord. Actually, my kid's experiencing me walking 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a sister passage here in, in, in Deuteronomy 4. Let's turn there. And, and what we're going to see is that the word of God should be the center of the parent's life. This is oftentimes what doesn't happen. I'm going to skip down to verses 8 and 9 because it just says it so well in Deuteronomy 4. He says, and what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law, which I set before you this day? Look what he says in verse nine. Only take heed to yourself. That word only is a restrictive participle in the Hebrew. It it narrows the instruction to the most essential element. You wanna do the main thing? Take heed to yourself, parents. How's your vertical relationship with Jesus Christ? Where's your love affair with Jesus Christ at today? How would you measure that this morning? Only take heed to yourself. Look what he goes on to say. And diligently keep yourself. That means to guard, pay attention. Do you even pay attention where you're at spiritually? Or are you just so busy? Well, I got to cram verses down my kid's throat. What about you? What are you responding to in your daily life? How are you engaged with the Lord on a daily, moment-by-moment basis? Do you even care about your walk with the Lord? Or is it all about jamming truth down their throat with no reality in your own life? See, this is, this is where it's at. Only take heed to yourself. Diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then, oh, by the way, what happens after you make that the main thing? Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. That's when teaching comes in. See, sometimes we miss the boat. We're not even on the right dock. We're not even on the right side of the continent and the right ocean sometimes because we don't realize the personal nature of a personal God who wants personal intimacy with you. Put your mask on first and then take care of your children's mask, as the airline industry says. This is what we're talking about here. Go back with me to Deuteronomy 6. So you can't teach or talk about what you yourself do not possess. And this is why the best thing we can do for our kids in raising them is to walk with Jesus Christ. By the way, speaking of this, how can you teach your kids to trust the Lord through trials when you yourself fall apart in every trial that hits you in life? How can you teach your kids to trust the Lord when they need to take a stand for righteousness in their life and you fold like a cheap suit every time you have to take a stand for righteousness in your life and do the right thing? How can you teach your kids to respond to people who mistreat them if you don't respond to mistreatment in a biblical manner? How can you teach your kids not to be materialistic when you yourself live out a materialistic lifestyle? Always have to have the new whatever, McGidgey, you know? Kids pick that stuff up. How can you teach your kids to be submissive to authority when you yourself are a quintessential rebel at heart? Every authority in your life, you buck. Every authority in your life, you criticize. Every authority in your life, you, you, you fight and, and claw and scrape with and talk bad about. Your kids are watching all this, and guess what you're teaching them? Become a rebel. You're teaching them to become a rebel. Something that's naturally in their heart anyways, you're bringing it out. You're definitely training them. You just ain't training them according to the admonition of the Lord. And so we've got to be aware of this. This all comes when we're controlled by the Spirit of God. God wants to produce a life that's appealing to our children. So a couple of more comments here. I think this is, by the way, why Moses uses the illustrations he does in verses 8 and 9. Remember, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets uh, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The idea is, is all of this should be apparent in every aspect of your home. All of this should be apparent in every aspect of the home life. You know, the problem for many parents is that we live segmented lives. This is where, why this doesn't come into play for us, that the idea of talking about Jesus Christ and every scenario and situation, every problem that we have, it's foreign to us because what's true of us on Sunday morning is not true of us on Thursday afternoon. It doesn't even come to our mind on Tuesday morning. And so it all starts with our own relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's where it's got to start. Because then what you're filled with, you what? You spill. You're going to start spilling the right things to our kids in a very natural, normal way. 
And again, our, our children tend to catch more by example than they catch when they're taught during formal sit-down sessions. So as I've said a million times here in the last few minutes, most valuable thing you can do is walk with the Lord as a parent. This is where it's at. This is where the reality comes in. Let me just close here with an encouragement to parents who have grown children. Okay, this is, a lot of this today, I mean, when you got kids in your own house, you, you kind of see the application. I mean, you kind of know, you know, you, you may have some ideas. Parents that have grown children, the same is true for you today. You may think back and go, man, I really blew that. Man, I could have done that better. And by the way, every parent, I believe, is going to think that when they get there. But here's the encouragement to you. Can you walk with the Lord today? Can you be more occupied with Jesus Christ today? Can you allow your life to become, as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, a fragrance of Jesus Christ wherever you go? Can you start emitting, you know, Jesus Christ BO, body odor, spiritual body odor to your grown kids? And then you have this impact on them as you interact with them, as you care for them, as you pray for them, as you do things to them, as you respond to them. You can still have an impact right here. It doesn't even change. It never changes for you. What a privilege that if you haven't started that yet, start today. There's time. There's benefit. There's blessing that you can provide your kids by walking with the Lord. And let me just say this, because um, this morning we want you to leave with some very practical tools. There's a couple of posters um, up somewhere. I I need to find out where they're going to be on the back. On the doors as your way out got a QR code. We put together just a, a document with some very practical helps on direct teaching of your children. They're, they're listed in a document. It's on our website. We're going to put that on on social media. We want you to have the, the resources available, the training. And if you look at those resources, you're like, man, I like this, but I don't know how to use it. Will you please call me so that we can go out for breakfast or lunch or dinner, or multiple breakfasts, multiple lunches, or multiple dinners, because I am happy to talk through and to strategize with you how you can best implement this in your home. That's what I want. I want to equip you, empower you to go do these things. And so you'll see the, the posters up on the board. Take a look at those. Next week, well, I won't, never I'm not going to say next week, but next week is Easter. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Invite a friend. We've got the greatest message that's ever existed in the planet uh, history, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to share that next week. And so bring somebody that doesn't know that message or needs to be encouraged by that message. Let's close there with a word of prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your word. And um, Lord, I think of all the parents represented here in the room this morning, kids still at home, kids grown. We're, We're all parents. We'll always be parents. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, give us a heart, hunger, and desire to to walk with you and to make that the priority in our life as we seek to continue to, to train and influence our children. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.